for a We Tackle Life podcast. I know you're like, what took so long? Yeah, it's been a long time since I have done a We Tackle Life podcast. I'm very sorry about that. It's getting to be a bit tedious that I begin whatever We Tackle Life podcast I do with an apology for not doing enough, which, you know, that's flattering because you guys uh, are missing them and uh, I need to be better at it. That's all I'll say. And I'll try to be better at it. But here we go. We have Ohio State football to talk about, Bengals and Browns, Guardians, and whatever else comes up. But thank you for joining us. Appreciate it very much. Reminder, if you are someone like me who, in this environment, questions, what happens to my money after I buy something? What does the company I buy it from do with it? Do they give it to causes I don't support? Am I campaigning against myself by buying things that end up in the hands of people who believe things I don't believe and who work toward agendas I don't support? Well, that answer is quite likely yes. And if you are interested in doing business with a company that might be aligned with Christian conservative values, a family-owned company, one that supports pro-life causes, one that supports law enforcement, one that believes that America's founding was uh, not oppressive but was flawed in some respects in terms of practice, but that we're always striving to get better and correct our past wrongs, then you would love to be a customer of the company that I order from every month for household goods, personal care items, soaps, things like that, cleaning products, etc. This company makes 400 products and we get a big old box of them every month. That way we're not buying from Procter & Gamble, from Unilever. We're not shopping at Target. We're not shopping at Walmart. We are shopping with people who believe like we believe. And I think that's something, a statement I want to make. If it's a statement you want to make, I can tell you about this company that doesn't allow me to talk about their name until you express an interest. That's just how they do business. It's not how I would do it, but it keeps them insulated from cancel culture and allows them to flourish as a word-of-mouth company. So go to patriotswitch.com slash bruce patriotswitch.com slash Bruce, and I will get your contact information there, and I will reach out to you, and we'll have a conversation. Okay, let's start with the Cleveland Browns. I know there are many, many, many Cleveland Browns fans. First of all, now let's start with the Buckeyes. Let's start with the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes were off this past week, and what a beautiful week it was, weekend in Columbus. If you had things to do outside, whether it's uh, landscape projects or just, you know, play golf or take a walk or enjoy a state park or a city park. It was a great weekend for it. In college football this weekend, what became apparent to me is that nobody (laughs) plays lights out defense. Nobody. Alabama-Tennessee was a crazy game. Bama misses a field goal, give Tennessee the ball in great field position. You knew Tennessee was going to win if they didn't miss the field goal, and they didn't. So they win that game. uh, USC-Utah. Late on Saturday night. You might not have stayed up. Uh, USC goes down. They score a touchdown. They kick it. They're up seven. Utah, of course, goes right back down the field. Scores. Goes to the two-point conversion. They get it. 43-42. So we got, what, 52-49 and 43-42. Ohio State is perfectly capable, more than capable, well-positioned to score 50 on anybody. So the first thing you have to do to win the national championship is you have to be able to score a lot of points. And 
Ohio State's defense is not giving up anywhere near the point total that Utah gave up, excuse me, that USC gave up, or Utah, the point total that Alabama or Tennessee gave up. But don't be fooled that Ohio State's defense is a great defense. It might be. I don't know. I know everybody's all in on Jim Knowles because you don't have a reason not to be all in on the Buckeyes' new defensive coordinator yet. But I think that what is quite likely to happen to Ohio State, because we see it all over college football and examples I just shared with you, is that Ohio State's going to get into probably the Michigan game and then the playoff, and it's going to start yielding more yards and more points than it has all season. The offenses are just that good, and the rules are structured so that you can run pick plays, you can get away half the time, three-quarters of the time holding it's just that's how it is. And the quarterbacks are too good. They're dual threat. They're impossible to handle if they're mobile quarterbacks or the wide receivers are too good. So I just think you need to be aware of that because this week Ohio State is going to look like a world beater, right? They're going to take on Iowa, and Iowa's going to score about 12 points. And people are going to be like, man, this defense is lights out. Well, it's not. It's not. I mean, it might be. I shouldn't say it's not. I don't know if it is or not. And you don't know if it is or not. I'm just saying, and this will be a theme throughout the podcast today, protect yourself from getting your heart broken, okay? Protect yourself from getting your heart broken. Because if you think that this defense is going to go in and is going to shut out Tennessee, USC, Alabama, Georgia, going to hold them to 14 points, uh, that's not going to happen, okay? That is just not going to happen. So... Eyes wide open, defense can be improved, quite likely the defense is going to at some point in time be exposed. It doesn't mean Ohio State can't win because they've got an offense that is absolutely lights out. Now, what is the danger in that, in dominating, as Ohio State has dominated this season, racking up pretty much whatever it wants to against everybody? The danger, not from a fan perspective, but from a team perspective, from a player perspective, is, man, we rang up as many points as we wanted to against Michigan State. We rang up as many points as we wanted to against Iowa. Now we're in a game with Michigan or we're in a game with, you know, you whoever, Tennessee, and we're not we're not scoring every time. Or they're scoring every time. And you get into a situation as a player where it's easy to keep scoring when you have a three-touchdown lead. It's harder to keep scoring when you have a no-touchdown lead or when you're down seven. And I wonder how Ohio State will handle, if it faces it, the we've got to score on this possession or we've got to stop somebody on this possession. Because that's the thing about the Ohio State schedule and that's the thing about the very, very average nature of the Big Ten is that it doesn't prepare you for that. It doesn't expose you to that. You might as well admit it. Because you can talk all you want to about, well, Penn State's ranked and Illinois ranked and oh. Uh. No. No. Do your eyes work? Do you watch football? Do you know what a good team looks like? You should. You're an Ohio State fan. You should know what a great team looks like. Their offense is great. There are other great offenses. You don't know how good their defense is, and you're not going to know how good their defense is after this week either because Iowa is the worst offense in the nation. No team 
in Division One averages fewer yards per game than Iowa. 239 yards per game. Dead last. 131. They've played two games this year where they've had less than 200 yards of offense, and they've scored a touchdown or less in three of their first six games. They haven't scored what Ohio State typically scores in the first half of a game, which is about 27 points, uh, in any game this year. And they're averaging just under 15 points a game. Only three teams in the country are worse than that. So they're bad offensively. Bad. Now let me say, you will be treated, or at least be able to watch, one of the guys that I think should be an Ohio State Buckeye. I know, Kate Stover's having a great year at tight end. I never understood at all why Ohio State did not recruit Luke Lachey. Never understood it. I watched Luke play basketball at Grandview, and I know, you know, his dad is Jim Lachey, so I know what kind of athletic genes he's got. And by the way, Jim's wife, uh, Ann, was a great athlete too. And I was just like, why do you not, you can't throw a scholarship at Luke Lachey? Like he's a six six, you know, very mobile, fast athlete who will come in here and play his heart out for you. So now, of course, Luke Lachey is at Iowa because he didn't fit the whatever. He lacked a tenth of a second on a 40 or he whatever. I just think that's dumb. I think Ohio State is so obsessed with recruiting out-of-state guys and high star rating guys. It makes no sense to me that Ohio State would recruit Will Smith from Dublin Kaufman and would not recruit Luke Lachey. Because I can flat out tell you, Luke Lachey is is as consequential on the football field as a high school player as Will Smith is. And they should recruit a Will Smith, but they should also recruit a Luke Lachey. So that's a fail, and it might not hurt you this week because I was so bad. But Luke Lachey is a guy who should be playing for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I think it's a shame that he's not. Luke Lachey is going to be an NFL tight end. He's going to be an NFL tight end. And how many of those does Ohio State have or has Ohio State had over the years? Not very many. Okay, let's shift gears and talk a little uh, Ohio State basketball, very little. But first, a word. My friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters will give you 15% off if you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Go to HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Check out their array of flavors. And besides flavors, what kind of coffee do you want? Do you want light, medium, or dark roast? Do you want it in K-Cups? Do you want it in uh, whole bean? Do you want it ground? You can get it any way you want. It's coffee that you can't get your hands on or your taste buds on from independent growers around the world. Around the world, Nicaragua, Thailand, Ethiopia, Indonesia, among, not all, but among the countries that Paul at Hemisphere buys his coffee from. Paul was a missionary prior to getting into the coffee business. He got into the coffee business as a mission because he met and networked with and shared his love of coffee with a lot of independent growers in these places where Paul was doing missionary work. And Paul realized, I can help these people by buying their coffee. They'll take the money. It will flourish in the local economy, and they can also plant churches here with the money they get from me. I'll pay them more than their government will pay them. I will not have to go through middlemen because I'll just arrange the shipping and we'll get it taken care of. 
without middlemen. So he has built a great business and augmented his mission work with Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. I think it's a phenomenal way to do business. And if you go to their website, they'll have videos. They'll show you who their growers are. They'll talk about their mission. You'll fall in love with their mission. More importantly, you'll fall in love with their coffee and their prices. When you use the 15% off promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps when you order, you get more for your money. They'll also ship free on orders of $30 or more. So do it, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. And right now, as we enter a time of year where a lot of businesses are looking for a way to give other businesses they do business with a corporate gift or express gratitude for the business that that business or person has done with your business, tell Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, I have, this is my budget. I'd like to send a gift pack of some sort to this business and they'll pack it, ship it, and no muss, no fuss. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. All right, the AP College Basketball Poll is out. And Ohio State is not in it. Not surprised. E.J. Liddell gone. Malachi Branham gone. Two first-round draft picks. Not surprised Ohio State is not ranked. But it gives license to the uh, Chris Holtman doubters, the Chris Holtman haters. Hey, what do you mean? You're entering year six and you're not ranked? Uh, the program must be in a shambles. No, the program is not in a shambles. The program is going to rely on a bunch of freshmen this year. And we'll see how they do. I think they'll be good. I think they'll take some lumps. Playing at Duke won't be easy. Playing North Carolina in New York won't be easy. Playing on the road in the Big Ten is never easy. But they'll win some games. They'll upset some good teams at home. I think they'll be an NCAA tournament team. Will they be a Sweet 16 team? Hmm? Will they be the first under Chris Holtman? And I get it. Every year is defensible. Why they didn't get to the Sweet 16 except the year they lost to Oral Roberts, that's not defensible. It's the worst NCAA tournament loss in school history. Chris Holtman has owned that. But nobody's perfect when it comes to NCAA tournament stuff. A lot of big programs get upset. That was Ohio State's biggest upset ever. I think in time, the Ohio State program, given this recruiting class and the one on its heels, you'll see the kind of results that you want. Let's not forget, even though Thad did a great job, got to the national championship game, got to the Final Four, won a bunch of Big Ten tournaments, won a bunch of Big Ten titles, at the end, Thad's physical health did not allow him to coach and recruit the way he did early on, and the program suffered for it. So I'm willing to wait and see what we get out of Chris Holtman this year, next year, and then if you're inclined to say you're all out on Chris Holtman, okay, maybe then it will be time, but not right now. He's doing a great job recruiting, and yet I still mourn that Ohio State did not get Gabe Cups. Okay, speaking of mourning, Speaking of morning, the Browns lost their third straight game yesterday. They lost to yet another backup quarterback. Uh, boy, backup quarterbacks are wreaking havoc with the Cleveland Browns. Let's count it up, shall we? Joe Flacco and Marcus Mariota and now uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, take the measure of the Cleveland Browns by a big score. Was it 38 to 15? And the New England Patriots quarterback is not Mac Jones. Uh, the New England Patriots quarterback is a guy whose name I do not remember, uh, but he played efficient. He didn't play spectacular. He didn't riddle the Browns secondary, but he played efficient. He's from Western Kentucky, and 
you don't have that on your bingo card at the start of the season. The Browns will get beat by a uh, third-string rookie named Bailey Zappi, who's named after a character on uh, some 90s, uh, you know, sitcom. But they did. They got beat by Bailey Zappi, and they got beat by their own uh, bad offense. And I know there's this movement out there like Jacoby Brissett is terrible and la, 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 la. I've said before, Jacoby Brissett's a backup. He's a backup. Now, his early interception didn't help him yesterday. They didn't run the ball well yesterday. I've not seen evidence until yesterday that people are more than justified to question Kevin Stefanski's play calling. I'm always kind of, eh, play calling, not my area of expertise. I've never sat in a booth. But there are just some things that are kind of obvious. And yesterday, late in the half, the Cleveland Browns had the ball second and one with about 35 seconds left to go in the half and two timeouts, okay? So they throw it long on second down, trying to get a touchdown, incomplete. All right, I get it. Third down, there's now there's like 25 seconds left, and they have two timeouts. I think they took a timeout, maybe to avoid delay of game or whatever, but they took a timeout and then came out and threw another pass and threw another pass. Or maybe they didn't take a timeout. I know they didn't. They ended the half with two timeouts. So on third and one, they threw it long and they threw it medium, not short, medium. And then they kicked a field goal and Cade York made the field goal with 25 seconds left in the half. Now I'm thinking to myself, why I get, you want to go for all of it on second down. Okay, whatever. Because you have third down and you have timeouts. Run the ball on third down and get the first down. And then you have how many seconds? You have enough seconds to run. You might have enough seconds to run three plays. I think you do. I think you have enough seconds to run two plays and a field goal if you don't get the touchdown. Or you get closer so that those kicks don't like do what kicks sometimes do, which is take a hard right or a hard left when they're halfway to the upright. That's what cost the Browns last week in their loss late. I can't even remember who they lost to. But I mean, they just, sometimes I'm like, you get so bent on your own brilliance in play calling that you forget to do fundamental things. So that was odd to me that they did that. And then they second half just self-destructed and, you know, they got beat bad. So they got beat bad. So that's, that's where they are. And they are two and four and the Steelers won yesterday. How in the heck did the Steelers beat the Tampa Bay Bucks? I'll tell you how they bounced back from an embarrassing loss the week before. And that's what good teams do. They get embarrassed. They take a look at themselves. They respond to adversity. And you get what you get. You beat the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Baltimore Ravens are a mess. The Baltimore Ravens figure out ways to lose games, and they figured out a way to lose another game yesterday. Speaking of the Ravens, now the Browns will get the Ravens next week on the road. Uh, you think the Ravens aren't just a teensy bit mad? Uh, the Ravens are more than a teensy bit mad. And so now the Browns have to go in there and they have to take on the Ravens. And 
they've got to man up. I don't have a whole lot of optimism about the Browns being able to beat the Ravens on the road when the Baltimore Ravens are coming off. And how many times have they lost a lead this year where they've led by 10 points or more? I mean, you know, you lose to the New York Giants yesterday. People could say, oh, the Giants are really good. What's the matter with you? No, the Giants are not really good. The Giants have a really good record, but the Giants are not really good. So the Ravens have beaten the Bengals. That's a division win. That's big for them. Uh, They've lost to the Buffalo Bills. And they've lost to the New York Giants, and now they get the Browns at home. And so we'll see what transpires. But I don't feel confident about the Browns going in there because a division game, the Ravens need it. They're 3-3. Three and three. Browns are 2-4. and four. Uh, As for the other Ohio team in the AFC Central, that would be your Cincinnati Bengals. And your Cincinnati Bengals yesterday uh, gutted one out on the road. They beat the New Orleans Saints and former Bengal quarterback Andy Dalton. Bengals finally were able to get Jamar Chase involved like they've really been unable to get him involved so far this year. Chase with a big touchdown catch at the end of the game that won the game. It had to be sweet for him since he played at LSU and grew up very close to uh, Baton Rouge. And Joe Burrow had to be sweet for him going back to uh, the stadium where, uh, well, it's not the stadium, but they did win it. I think they did win the national championship at the Superdome. So, Bengals square their record at 3-3. That's pretty impressive given the fact that they started 0-2 and they lost the Steelers and the Cowboys by field goals. Then they beat the Jets handily on the road, something the Browns couldn't do. Uh, They beat the Dolphins handily, lost a heartbreaker to the Baltimore Ravens. Take the field goal when you can get it, Zach Taylor. And then came back yesterday and beat Andy Dalton and the New Orleans Saints. Now the Bengals get the chance to do something, a second thing, that the Browns have been uh, unable to do, and that's beat the Atlanta Falcons. They get the Atlanta Falcons at home. The Browns had to play them on the road, so they get Mariota and company at home. And then two weeks from now, on Monday Night Football, on the last day of October, the Bengals will go up to Cleveland. If the Browns can't win in Baltimore, they've lost four in a row. They're two and five. Uh, you would think, okay, well, you know, Bengals on Monday Night Football, stadium will be amped. Having worked in Cleveland at uh, ESPN Cleveland, the Browns don't react to backs-against-the-wall situations like a lot of teams react to backs-against-the-wall situations. When the negativity starts to pile up, the negativity begins to take on a persona all its own, and it's by my experience that the Browns have figured out ways then to lose games that they should be winning. And if the Bengals happen to beat the Falcons and the Bengals are 4-3, and three, I would think that it's more likely than unlikely that the Bengals would win that Monday night football game. We'll see. We'll see. But the Bengals now are set up in a situation where they have the ability to really make some hay because they've got the Falcons at home, then they're at Cleveland, then they got the Panthers at home. The Panthers are down to who knows who at quarterback because Baker Mayfield now has a torn knee ligament. Then the Bengals go on the road to Pittsburgh. That's a winnable game. They play four games they could win. Falcons, Browns, Panthers, Steelers, before they face mm, a couple real toughies at the Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs at home. So if the Bengals can win four in a row and get to seven and three, well, then you can take the bullet. If you get, you know, even if you get beat by Tennessee, even if you get beat by the Chiefs, you're still seven and five. And then you get the Browns at home. And, you know, you're back cooking and probably back in um, playoff contention. So getting 
Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow on the same page and having them take advantage of their clear um, relationship from college and what they you know blew the NFL away with last year is a really good thing for the Cincinnati Bengals and I think portends good things for the Bengals coming up. I do not have that same feeling about the Cleveland Browns. Now, speaking of a team in Cleveland that I do not have the same feeling for, hmm, this would be a good time before I get into that topic to remind you that the attorney firm of choice of myself and of this podcast is Willis Spangler Starling. It's amazing how many times in the course of your life you come across people who have a need for great legal representation. Uh, I have a friend right now who is tending to someone who has uh, suffered a loss in their family, and it's put a burden on the surviving member of the family, and they have uh, a home that they're unable to be in right now, and some of their relatives have moved in and are trying to, like, bogart it away from them. They are in desperate straits. They've never had an attorney in their life. They don't know where to turn. I sent them right to Willis Spangler Starling. I'm like, look, I know they're going to take care of you. I know they're going to do a great job. When you recommend somebody to do something consequential for somebody else because you have impeccable trust in their integrity, character, and acumen, then you know you've really got something. That's the attorney firm, Willis Spangler Starling. My friends, my... I guess, uh, my advocates. And it doesn't matter uh, what your situation is, if it's wills estate planning, personal injury, social security disability, employment law, any aspect of the law, they can help you with it. Or they'll be kind enough to steer you to someone who can. I've had them before tell people that I've recommended to them, you know, for this matter, you should go here. And that's a lot. That's That says a lot about somebody who they know their lane, they know their limits, and they're not afraid to say so, even if the business goes to someone else. I trust them impeccably. Willis Spangler Starling, online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. You can also find their physical office on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, near Home Depot, near Target. Check it out, Willis Spangler Starling, willisattorneys.com. All right, now to the conversation about a Cleveland team that I do not trust. And that is not just the Browns, but it is also the Cleveland Guardians. Tonight is game five, and I tried to be funny the other day on Twitter, which is always a bad idea because there's no nuance on Twitter. And I posted this thread about after they were down 0-1 in the series that I see what's coming every single time the Indians, and yes, to me they are the Indians. Every single time the Indians are good enough to win it all, they get in a position to win it all, and they gag it away. They gagged it away in 07 with the great, ha, not great, Eric Wedge as manager. They're up 3-1 on the Red Sox. They have games five and six. They have game five in Cleveland with CC Sabathia, 20-game winner on the mound. They have game six at Fenway with Fausto Carmona on the mound, also a 20-game winner. They lose game five. They lose game six. And they lose Game 7, although it was not Paul Bird's fault. He was the Game 7 starter. So then the Red Sox win the World Series and break the curse. Okay. They, a couple years ago, had uh, Edwin Encarnacion, and they're, you know, they win, beat the Yankees at home in the first, and then they go quiet and they lose. They had, what, a 3-1 edge on the Cubs in the World Series in 2016 and gagged that away. So do I equate this Cleveland team to that one? No, of course not. This Cleveland team is the plucky little... Engine that could chugga 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 chugga. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. 
And everybody falls in love with him because they've had 17 guys make their major league debut, and Oscar Gonzalez hits the game-winning walk-off in the wild card series. And then they get the mighty Yankees. And so I'm writing about every time they're good enough, they don't play well enough. And every time they're not good enough, they're just good enough to make you think they're good enough, and they suck you in. And everybody will excuse this loss inevitably coming this year with, well, they're young, Bruce, and they're going to be really good. Look at this guy when he grows up. When he grows up, he will be, whatever position he plays, the modern equivalent of, count him up, Jim Tomey, Cliff Lee, CC Sabathia, Albert Bell, Francesco Lindor, on and on and on. They will not be able to afford them once these players get to be of a certain level of skill. And that's a roller coaster that I have ridden for 20 years, and I'm frankly kind of tired of it. Doesn't mean I'm not invested in them winning because after I posted this thread, I said, I'm out. I'm not going to do it anymore. Or I'm not going to do it until Thursday. And everybody missed the last tweet, which they always do. Nobody gets nuance on Twitter. I wasn't saying that I hope they lose. I wasn't saying that I'm not a fan. I was saying I know how it's going to end, whether it's against the Yankees or whether it's against the Astros or whether it's against whoever's left from the National League. It's not going to end well. Now, it might, of course, because sports is sports, but the longer a series, the less chance the Indians will win it. So as they get into a seven-game series with a team that's more talented than they are, that's going to show up. They might sneak past the Yankees tonight. They might. But I wouldn't count on it, and I certainly wouldn't count on them winning the World Series. So, you know, this is like dating an addict. This is like dating an addict. Eventually, they're going to do what addicts do. And you don't know how it's going to end, and you don't know when it's going to end, but it's going to end. <laughs> so be aware. Enjoy it if you can. There are a lot of people who go, you know, life is about enjoying the ride, Bruce. You got to enjoy the ride. Well, let me just say, it's hard for me to enjoy the ride when I know the ride is going to crash at some point in time. And with this group and with that franchise, it is going to crash at some point in time because it has crashed at some point every year since 1948. Since 1948, okay? So the crash is coming you just don't know when, but it's coming. Trust me on that. Okay, before we get to the faith portion of the podcast, final reminder from an advertising perspective, if you're a business owner, this is open enrollment. This is the time when you can evaluate health plans. You can evaluate what you're spending on your health plan. If you're offering medical insurance, dental, vision, life, maybe you're paying too much. Or if you're not offering it, maybe you're really smart. And maybe you can offer things that employees these days really want, like flex time off or a flexible schedule. My friends at auinfo.com are indeed my friends. I know a lot of people, when they talk about advertising, they say, oh, my friends, and they never met them, they don't know them. I know the people who run AUI. They're really good, quality, people full of integrity. And we all have things that we like to do. My likes are different than your likes. One of the things that they like to do is really dig into the nuances of business and find out how they can help businesses grow their business because guess what? That helps grow their business. And so they not only help you with insurance, they will vet options. They have at least a half dozen carriers that they can offer to you. And like I say, they also can design a survey for you to where you'll find out if you really need to offer insurance or find out how to attract 
and keep great employees. This is a free service. They are paid by companies that you choose to do business with. So you don't pay anything with auiinfo.com. They're getting paid, just not by you. So check them out online. Use their chat. Tell them who you are. Tell them you heard about it on the podcast. They'll treat you great. They're rock stars when it comes to business. auiinfo.com. That's auiinfo.com. Okay, I want to talk about a phrase that you might hear once in a while when you're reading your Bible or when you hear Jesus talk about himself, and that is the phrase, son of man, son of man. Now, I've always kind of found that to be a curious phrase because Jesus is the son of God. When you read uh, expressions of faith or a lot of churches, a lot of universities will have a statement of faith, and in that statement of faith, if it's worth, you know, if it's worth going to that college or if it's worth going to that church, they'll say, we believe Jesus is the son of God. But Jesus referred to himself a lot as the son of man. So which is he? Is he the son of man or is he the son of God? Yes, he's both. Okay. He's the son of God because he is the son of God. We read Colossians 1. If you want a description for who Jesus is, read Colossians 1. In the second half of Colossians 1, it talks about Jesus and his position in creation and how he holds everything together, his power, his authority, who he is. He's clearly identified by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians church, the back half of Colossians 1. So Jesus is the Son of God, but he was also fully man. But why did he refer to himself as the son of man when talking to people during his earthly ministry who were supposedly looking for the son of God? That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were all looking for, the Messiah, and the Messiah was going to be God. So if the Messiah was coming and he was not God, he would have to be like the son of God, or he'd have to have some, you know, godly qualities. In the book of Matthew, Matthew is writing, Everything in Matthew is written to establish, to authenticate the kingship, the royalty, the authority of Jesus. And this is where Jesus frequently refers to himself as the son of man. So I was thinking about this yesterday, and in particular, the passage in Matthew 9, where Jesus heals the paralytic. Now, this is a story that is recounted in Mark and in Luke, but also in Matthew. And Matthew leaves out the detail that is in both Mark and Luke, where Jesus is talking, he's, he's, he's teaching, and there's so many people around him inside this building that he's in, inside this home, wherever he is, there's so many people around him that the people who brought the paralyzed man on a, on a mat, on a stretcher, for lack of a better term, they couldn't get to Jesus. they like, we want to get this friend of ours who's paralyzed to Jesus so Jesus can heal him touch him, he's healed. Boom, we believe. Faith will heal him. Well, they couldn't get close to Jesus. So what did they do? According to Mark and Luke, they dug out a hole in the roof. They didn't use a sawzall because those roofs were, you know, thatch and mud and all that, but they dug through the roof. And I've always wondered, is Jesus down there and like the stuff starts falling on his head or whatever? But he, of course, knew what was coming on because he's coming up because he's fully man and fully God. But these guys tunnel in through the roof. They cut a hole in the roof make a hole in the roof, and they lower this guy on a stretcher before Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, look at this. 
This guy's paralyzed. Wow, you got a lot of faith. Man, you're healed, brother. Get up and walk. First, first he says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. He didn't say he was going to heal him. He just said, your sins are forgiven. And he calls him out on it. He calls him out on it. He's like, uh, why do you think such evil things in your hearts? What's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what he said to him. So then he said to the paralyzed guy, get up, take your mat, go home. And the guy got up and he went home. Now, why did he refer to himself as the Son of Man? And why did he say your sins are forgiven? Who can forgive sins? Only God. If you were a Jew then, what did you have to do to have your sins forgiven? What did you have to do to have your sins forgiven? You had to offer what? A blood sacrifice. You had to sacrifice a bull or a goat or a sheep or a dove. You had to make a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. That was how you received atonement. That was how you received forgiveness. This is why I think the Son of Man and the Son of God, this is where they parallel, okay? By calling himself the Son of Man and then eventually going to the cross and dying on the cross and then rising again, I think the term Son of Man, in retrospect, as they look back on him and this experience, was like, he's our sacrifice. He's our son. He's the son of man. He's fully man, and he accomplished the blood sacrifice necessary for the forgiveness of sins. So we acknowledge that only God can forgive sins, and God requires a blood sacrifice. Jesus was that sacrifice. Jesus was that sacrifice. So this is not something I read in a commentary. This is, not some, this is my opinion. But for me, it reconciles and I think is a, is a retrospective, oh, I get it. This is why he's the son of man, because he sacrificed himself. He's, you know, part of us. He's part of mankind. He's the son of man. Jesus went to the cross and died. That's the sacrifice for our sins. So. And you'll notice Jewish people these days don't sacrifice anymore. That's not because they view Jesus as their sacrifice, because obviously Jews don't, most Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They don't sacrifice anymore because the temple's been destroyed and the only place that you're supposed to be offering sacrifices is the temple. I get that. But here's the other thing that has to be pointed out as it relates to sacrifice and the Jews. The Jews viewed and this is why I think it's a stumbling block for Jews to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Jews have a visceral, as we all do, a visceral hatred, rejection of human sacrifice. So I think this is a stumbling block for Jews to come to faith in Christ is that they would be embracing human sacrifice if they view Jesus as a sacrifice for their sins. The other thing, though, that I will say, anti-Semitism is a horrible thing. Anti-Semitism is not at all um, accommodating, or, or not rather accommodating, but in line with 
authentic evangelical Christianity. Christians should be the biggest supporters of, the biggest lovers of, the biggest defenders of the Jewish people, because we worship a Jewish rabbi. A Jewish rabbi was our Messiah. And the Bible is very clear that the Jewish people are not going anywhere. There have been myriad attempts and are ongoing attempts by Iran and other countries to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. They're not going anywhere. We are to support them because they are God's chosen people. I don't know how it's all going to sort out in the end. I know a remnant will be preserved because the Bible says that. So, let me just say this. Any anti-Semitism out there is antithetical to Christianity, to authentic Christianity. And any blaming of the Jews for Jesus being crucified is totally, unequivocally wrong. The Jews did not crucify Jesus. Our sin crucified Jesus. My sin crucified Jesus. Your sin crucified Jesus because he loves you and me enough that if we were the only person redeemed by his death, he would have done it. I know we always say, oh, he died for all of our sins. He did, but he did it for us individually, not just collectively, both. It's part of the miracle, the infancy of God. And so uh, don't make that mistake. Don't blame the Jews for uh, what happened to Jesus. So uh, with that, as my phone rings, and it's a spam call because I get a million of them, I will bid you adieu on this edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your interest. I appreciate you listening to the podcast very, very much. If you'd like to leave me a review, you can do so on iTunes. If you would like to send me an email, you can do that at wetacklelife at gmail.com, wetacklelife at gmail.com. And I will let the uh, enormous posthumous talents of Mr. Jerry Reed take us out for this edition of the We Tackle Life podcast.